0: My name is Ray, and this is episode nine. Now it's great to be back in the podcast world. Uh, I know we have our weekly episodes. This episode will be dropping tomorrow. Uh, No complications this week. All I just watched every wrestling show, so there should be no issues. I'm gonna go over everything like we normally go over. I just want to take the time to say thank you for those who downloaded the podcast, those who are still with me on this podcasting journey. I really appreciate your support. So, like always, we're gonna start off with. Monday Night Raw. We see Drew McIntyre start off Monday Night Raw. Drew says that he has no excuses, just one promise. He will be the WWE Champion once again. He says if Randy Orton could read his mind, he would be scared. Then he's interrupted by The Miz. Drew then warns Miz and Morrison not to test him. Miz and Morrison still end up mocking Drew McIntyre. Miz says Drew doesn't have to worry about Randy Orton because he's Mr. Money in the Bank. Miz then goes on to say that history can repeat himself. He can cash in on Orton once again. We all know that the Miz cashed in on Randy Orton in 2010 after a grueling match with Wade Barrett. We then see Drew McIntyre has had enough, and then he attacks the Miz and Morrison. Then we see the Miz save Morrison, then they run off. We also learn that Randy Orton will be on a moment of bliss. So tonight we'll see and hear from Randy Orton on Alexa Bliss's show, a moment of bliss. We also learn that there are three qualifying matches tonight to have a spot on Team Raw. It is Keith Lee versus Elias, Matt Riddle versus Sheamus, and Hardy versus. Versus AJ Styles and that will be the first match of the night. It will be AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy in a qualifying match to see who will join Team Raw. We've seen Styles. He says he's beaten everyone. It's time to bring back the phenomenal era. Then says why do we even have a qualifying match for him? He says that he's done enough that he's been the best around the world. He says he should be the captain. Then he goes on to speak about that his guard doesn't want to be messed with so maybe nobody should step in his way. Then he goes on to say that if Hardy tries to pull what he pulled with Elias his guard is gonna make him wish that he never put that bottle down so we see AJ Styles taking shots at Jeff Hardy's drinking problems in his past then we see Jeff Hardy make his entrance to the ring and the match finally begins we see AJ Styles start off quick and aggressive then Hardy counters him he also baits him to go to the outside of the ring we see Jeff Hardy then try to hit a dive on AJ Styles who is on the outside but AJ Styles guard ends up catching him so this guy is playing a pivotal part in AJ Styles matches he's making sure that AJ is never on the receiving end of a beating. So AJ Styles guard is doing his role. So we see Styles in control after that distraction by the guard when we come back from break. Hardy then begins to mount some offense. He gets multiple near falls. We see Styles then knock Hardy off the top rope. Then he hits a rack bomb for a near fall. Then both men try to hit their finishes but none are able to hit. Jeff Hardy then tries to hit a swanton on Styles but AJ Styles knocks him off the top rope. Then he slams him into the ring post. Then he hits the phenomenal fall forearm for the win. So we see AJ Styles now joining Team Raw. But then after the match, we've seen Elias hit Jeff Hardy with that guitar once again. So their rivalry is not over. And I know that this is going to go on till probably Survivor Series. After that, we've seen R-Truth. He had a backstage segment. He says that he will be on the side during a tag match between Lucha House Party, Drew Gulag, and Akira Tozawa. R-Truth also mentions that his name is, you know, his middle name is Franklin Danger. And I thought that was pretty funny because she was like, what 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 is your name like? What like is danger in in your name? And he's like, yeah, it's in my name. My middle name is Franklin Danger. And I was I thought that was pretty funny. So I decided to throw that in there. Even though you know our truth sometimes has his moments. After that, we have seen the Lucha House Party versus Tozawa and Drew Gulag. We seen Drew and Tozawa early in control. Then when the Lucha House Party gets control, Truth ends up coming out. Then the chaos ensues. We see Tozawa try to roll up Truth immediately on the outside, but it doesn't work. Then Truth runs in the ring. Lince tried to pin him, but Gulag ends up throwing him to the outside. Then he goes for the pin himself, but Truth ends up kicking out. Then Lince tries to dive on Truth, but he ends up dodging, so he hits Gulag instead. Then he picks up the win after that. So we've seen Lince Dorado try to jump on R-Truth, but Truth dodging ended up costing Drew Gulag the win. After that, we've seen all the men try to pin Truth, but none were successful. Then R-Truth runs off. So still, we see people trying to capture this 24-7 championship from our truth After that, we get a Firefly Funhouse segment. They're having a tea party. Then Alexa Bliss joins the party bringing her own tea. She says it's her own special tea. It has a secret ingredient. So Rambling Rabbit's curiosity just kicked in and he's like, you know, what's the secret ingredient? And she says, arsenic. And then we see Rambling Rabbit just like start to foam at the mouth and it appears that he looks to be dead. Bray Wyatt goes on to say that him and Alexa are mad and Alexa says well, how do you know that I'm mad? And he says, well, if you wasn't, you wouldn't be here right now we've seen Alexa then transform right before our eyes when Bray Wyatt touches her she also mentions that Orton will be on a moment of bliss then we see Bray Wyatt get upset because you know they have that history and then he starts beating on Rambling Rabbit with the shovel and I guess now for sure Rambling Rabbit is dead but we know how these segments go he ends up coming back to life some way somehow so we know that Orton and The Fiend or Bray Wyatt have some history they were on the Wyatt family together Randy Orton betrayed him And now, we know that The Fiend has his eyes set on that WWE Championship. So it's interesting to see where this goes tonight. After that, we get a backstage segment from Keith Lee. He says that Braun couldn't beat him, so he took a cheap shot. And when he sees him, he's gonna show him a real monster. We know that Keith Lee lost his match last week to Braun Strowman because Braun Strowman used an underhanded tactic when he used his head to low blow Keith Lee and then hit him with a big boot for the win. Terrible finish, but like I said, that's where this storyline has played to. After that we get another backstage segment with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. We see Nia pull out a list. She tells Adam who should be on the women's team and Adam says Nia's not the captain. Then Shayna Baszler pulls out a list of her own and then Adam Pearce says you know you're not the captain either. So then we see both women ask each other were we even on each other's list and then they both disagree that none of them were on each other's list. So even though they're a tag team they still didn't want each other on the Raw Women's Survivor Series team. Now we move on to our next qualifying match for Team Raw. It is Elias versus Keith Lee. We've seen Keith Lee looking dominant early. Elias tries to take control, which he did using the ropes when Keith Lee was trying to enter the ring. Then he tries to attack him on the outside, but Keith Lee ends up shouldering tackle him over the announce table. When we come back from commercial, Elias is somehow in control. But then Elias tries to go up to the top. Then we hear Jeff Hardy's music plays, which distracts Elias. Then Keith Lee knocks him off the top rope, places his finisher on him for the win. So now we know that Keith Lee will join Team. And AJ Styles at Survivor Series, but after the match, we've seen Jeff Hardy hit Elias with that guitar from behind, just like he did earlier in the show. So now these two are going back and forth, trading guitar shots. I don't know if their match at Survivor Series is going to be a guitar match, but these guys have broken a lot of guitars. I wonder what Elias's guitar budget because the more guitars he breaks, I'm sure the more money it costs him. And I think they've broken like five guitars so far. So it's you know, I don't know what this match type is going to be. They're probably going to make it, a, you know, a street fight just so that way they can implement more weapons besides the qatar so we just have to wait and see where this rivalry takes us then we see the hurt business bullying a guy before their match he was trying to use their bathroom and they just like you know punk him out so he ends up running away i don't even think it was their bathroom i think they were just playing with him or they were just trying to intimidate him which they succeeded but now we move on to the next match which is retribution versus the hurt business and a survivor series style elimination match we see before the match hurt business cuts a little pro They say they've never ran from retribution while everyone else did. And they've taken the fight to retribution. And when this is over, that they want their payment. Then Shelton Benjamin comes out of nowhere and says they want it in gold. So then retribution comes out. So we see Bobby Lashley in control early of T-Bar. MVP then gets tagged in, which changes the control just a little bit. Then MVP beats up Slapjack because, you know, he lost that control earlier in that match. We see Mia Yim then get possessed, which distracts MVP, who gets eliminated by Slapjack who rolled him up which is the stupidest thing ever she she was like twitching in the ring and like curling around in the ring i thought this was terrible I, I, this this just needs to go away Mia Yim catching a possession in the middle of the ring is the dumbest thing ever she's being underutilized with retribution because the hurt business has no female member yet which it should be naomi i'm gonna say that again it should be naomi but Mia Yim being used like this is stupid then we see Mia Yim get up and she's like up oh, there was nothing wrong and then Mia Yim gets Dejected. We then see Bobby Lashley spear Slapjack to eliminate him. Then Bobby Lashley and T-Bar end up fighting on the outside. They forget about the countout. Then both men get counted out. So we're down to two and two. It's Mace and Ali versus Alexander and Benjamin. We see Mace get the advantage on Cedric Alexander. Then Sheldon hits a blind tag on Cedric without Mace even noticing. Then Sheldon hits the pay dirt to eliminate Mace. So now it is a two-on-one handicap match. We've seen Ali was taking a beating. So Ali ends up hitting Cedric Alexander with a chair to get DQ'd then Ali sees Shelton then tries to run away but then the rest of the Hurt Business comes around and then he runs away so again we see Retribution just losing once again they cannot catch a break they can't get on a win streak and I think this group just needs to disband I don't think this group is working anymore and then you know I'm sure they're probably going to continue try to continue this rivalry with the Hurt Business I need this to end because it is just horrible to watch we're watching a bunch of NXT rejects who were really good at NXT get you know slaughtered on the main roster by the hurt business, which they should be because it's the hurt business and they're doing fantastic. But at least you know, make them look more scary. You brought them up to be dominant, and they haven't looked dominant at all. They've just been losing. So just just end this, break retribution up. You guys failed with this, you guys missed the mark. You tried to go in the Nexus route, it didn't work. And you know, I just see that this is something I'm not gonna enjoy as long as it continues. After that match, we head backstage to see Angel Garza trying to give Mandy Rose rose no pun intended a rose then she declined we then see Angel Garza give that rose to Naya Jax after they interrupted her and Shayna Baszler so they're trying like to pull like a little Eddie Guerrero China thing with these two you know no one can be Eddie Guerrero I've heard rumors that they're gonna try to make Angel Garza like a Eddie Guerrero type figure I don't see it yet maybe other people do but I don't see it yet then we see Naya says if Mandy and Dana want to be on their team they have to pull it together then Dana says you mean it's our team Team, not yours. Then Shayna and Naya says, "Am I being punked?" We then hear Shayna say, "Garza, really?" And Naya says, "You know, who cares? You know, it's it's somebody." So we, like I said, we're seeing him get that Eddie Guerrero role, and I don't see him carrying this company like Eddie Guerrero did. That's that's one and only. That's a unique guy. He cannot be replicated. So if they see Angel Garza trying to, you know, be like an Eddie Guerrero, they can go for it. I won't mind it, but he will never be anything like him. He just has to be his own character so we also see that Nia and Shayna Baszler are trying to make it their team and no one is sticking around for it neither is Mandy and Dana which which brings me to my next point I feel like Dana shouldn't be on this team like we're trying to put tag teams on this team and it just takes away from the other women who should be on this team like uh, a Peyton Royce or a Lacey Evans but that's just my opinion I feel like Dana should not be on this team just like I feel like Mandy shouldn't be on a tag team but she is so it's just interesting to see what the rest of the women's team is going to look like we move on to the next match in the card which is drew McIntyre versus the Miz we see Morrison tries to distract drew early but it doesn't work so McIntyre beats up Miz then Miz starts to attack the leg but was unable to truly build momentum we see the Miz push drew into the steps to take control then he begins to attack that leg once again but McIntyre ends up countering he begins to mount some offense to rally back and take control until Miz counters the future shock DDT we see Morrison then try to interfere and use the briefcase to hit Drew McIntyre But Drew McIntyre ends up launching him across the floor and then launches the briefcase. Miz tries to roll up a distracted Drew who then kicks out. We see the Miz try to go for a clothesline but Drew McIntyre ducks under it to deliver the Claymore for the win. So we knew Drew McIntyre was going to win this match. There was no doubt in my mind that he was going to win but Miz is still our Mr. Money in the Bank. So I'm sure he doesn't really care about losing right now. Now my take on this Money in the Bank thing is that I don't think that the Miz is going to cash it in on Randy Orton. I think Drew McIntyre is going to win the WWE Championship back at some. Some point and then the Miz is going to cash in on Drew McIntyre I truly feel that they don't want the Miz who's a heel to cash it in on another heel maybe they want him to cash in on the baby face I don't know back then in 2010 if Randy Orton was a heel or a face at the time when Miz cashed it in but at this point in time I don't feel like he's going to cash in on Orton they also haven't made it clear if Randy Orton gets a whole nother year or is it the contract you know it's going to stay the same so if the contract stays the same then Miz only has a couple of months to cash it in because this year is almost over and Otis won this money in the bank way back when so if Miz doesn't have a lot of time he better make that cash in now or sooner than later if he saves it for WrestleMania I wouldn't be mad but at some point he's gonna have to use it before it runs out after that we head backstage where the New Day is poking some fun at the Street Profits ahead of their Survivor Series match then Asuka comes out of nowhere and says she wants to smoke MVP then interrupts and says that the Hurt Business wants the tag team titles we then hear Asuka say you will fail because New Day rocks so we know that the Hurt Business has been been dominating so far we know that the new day is always at the top of the tag team division it will be good to see if the hurt business take those tag team titles off of them and you know you're probably thinking like you know who's going to be their team it's obvious it's going to be shelton and cedric alexander that's going to be your tag team will the hurt business take it off the new day maybe not now but at some point they will take off those tag team championships but then this brings me to my my issue there's no nxt at survivor series this year you're telling me that it was just a ratings grab last year for them to add and NXT to Survivor Series? I think this is terrible. I think that NXT last year was the star of Survivor Series. How are you going to have the battle of the brands when NXT is its own brand? It might not be the main roster, but it is its own brand. And I would love to see the new tag team champions, Danny Burch and Oney Lorkins, take on the Street Profits and the New Day. I would love to see Finn Balor take on Roman Reigns and Randy Orton. I would love to see Io Shirai take on Asuka and Sasha Banks. Who wouldn't love to see these things? Also, Bobby Lashley versus Daniel priest versus Sami zayn these are good matches in their own right why does wwe not want this but then you have to think about it AEW started around that time so they were trying to catch grab all them ratings from AEW, and it worked and now they're not doing it again because you know what they had their win and they don't want nxt in survivor series i hopefully they fix this but i know they won't and i think it's terrible i feel so bad that nxt is not in this because they are a better brand than than raw i give them that they're a better brand than raw and i feel like they should be a. Survivor Series. If you disagree with me then you disagree with me but if you don't and you feel the way I do then you understand the pain of not having NXT at Survivor Series this year. After that they head to another backstage segment with Drew McIntyre. He was asked how does he feel about Randy and being on a moment of bliss. Drew then says Orton will not have a moment of bliss and then walks away. So we know that Drew McIntyre at some point is going to come out and beat up Rainier once again. After that we head to the ring where Adam Pearce is standing there to announce the Raw Women's Team. We hear him announce Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, Mandy and Dana. And then those four girls start to argue on who's team captain. Adam Pierce interrupts and says, there will be a fatal four-way to determine the last member. The last four women who will uh, be determined will be Lacey Evans, Lana, Peyton Royce, and Nikki Cross. And then we see all the women come out. We also learn that Nikki Cross has a new entrance theme, which sounded like a little country theme. It didn't really go with her character anymore. But now we're gonna move on to their match, which is Peyton versus Lana versus Lacey versus versus Nikki Cross in a fatal four-way qualifying match for the last spot on the Raw Women's Team. We see all women fight and they all take each other out early. Peyton Royce then gains control until Nikki builds up some momentum taking out everyone. They also had to mention that Elias' new album is now number one on Apple Music. I don't know why they had to announce this during this match but they did. We see Lana then eat a women's right. Then Lacey eats a roundhouse kick from Peyton who puts on a gory bomb on Nikki landing on Lacey. Then we see Lana steal the win to join team raw and I, I was like oh my god they're having lana go on team raw why what a waste they should have had nikki cross lacey evans or peyton they had three really talented women joining and they didn't put them to win this match so i think lana being there is a complete waste i don't know what they're trying to do what they're trying to establish with her they're trying to put her over i don't think she's gonna be over we then see lana then accept the hug from naya jack who then holds tight and then she gives Shayna Baszler the signal to remove the stuff from the announce table and then she Samoan drops Lana through the announce table for the sixth time in a row. So I don't know how this team is gonna work. There is no like chemistry here. None of these women could coexist. Even even Shayna Baszler and Ajax could barely coexist. But this this is gonna be a disaster for the raw women's team. Because if you want to predict it now, let's predict it now. I feel like it's gonna be for team SmackDown, it's gonna be Bianca Belair, maybe the Riot Squad. At some point, maybe Zelina Vega and uh is there let me see another woman on SmackDown. There's a couple, and maybe Bailey. If Bailey doesn't win her uh, world championship back at some point in time, so that's probably SmackDown's team. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I want to get at least a few of those right. Then we have backstage where they catch Orton going inside his locker room. He is asked, "Will he be on a moment of bliss?" He says, "He will." The Fiend doesn't scare him, and he will introduce him to the most three dangerous letters in WWE, and that is RKO. So, like I said, the Fiend and Randy Orton have history, and they're most likely gonna clash or come face to face tonight. After that, we move on to Matt Riddle versus Sheamus in our last qualifying match for Team Raw for tonight. Before this qualifying match, we see Ali says, Retribution is not a team or family. He says they get to decide when things are shut down and God, I hope they don't decide that because I want this to be shut down now. But back to the match. We see Riddle get control early, but Sheamus ends up grabbing the rope to break the hole. Then he starts to take advantage of Matt Riddle. Riddle able to build some offense. Then he hits a PK on the apron. Then a corkscrew dive. Riddle is in control when we come back from commercial but then he eats a knee strike for a near fall. Sheamus goes up to the top, but Riddle ends up cutting him off, but Sheamus fights it off. Then Matt Riddle rushes back up to hit an exploder suplex for a near fall. Then he goes for the floating bro, but Sheamus gets the knees up. We end up seeing Sheamus take control once again. We see Riddle then reverse the Irish curse. He locks on a sleeper hole, which Sheamus ends up fighting off. Sheamus then goes for the bro kick, but Riddle dodges. Then he hits a German suplex for a near fall. Then he tries to lift up Sheamus once again, but that Bat gave out, and he ends up eating a bro kick from Sheamus, and now we see Sheamus is on Team Raw. So now we have Keith Lee, AJ Styles, and Sheamus. That's a pretty dominant start for Team Raw, so Team SmackDown is gonna have to really bring it. After that, we get a moment of bliss, and the special guest, obviously, is Randy Orton. We hear new music from Alexa Bliss. It's more eerie, it's more, you know, dark than, you know, her regular theme song. She then has this creepy smile on her face. She has more of an eerie look to her. She looks more possessed than ever. She then introduces Randy Orton, who then comes out and asks her, does she have a surprise for him? Then she says, why have a surprise when you and Drew burn the house down? Then Randy axes, where is the Fiend? Then we hear Drew McIntyre's music hit. Then he races to beat up Orton while Alexa Bliss laughs at the top rope maniacally. We see Drew then set up for a claymore. Then the lights go off. The Fiend music plays. And then Drew is standing in the middle of the ring. And I'm thinking to myself like, is he's possessed? And then we see Randy Orton just walking backwards up the ramp and then he stops because he feels a presence behind him the camera then pans behind Randy Orton and the fiend is just standing there and Orton has to make a choice do I turn around and deal with the fiend or do I walk forward and fight Drew McIntyre once again so he ends up walking towards Drew McIntyre they begin to fight again he chose not to fight the fiend him and Drew keep going at it Orton ends up slamming him on the announce table he climbs up on the announce table to keep punching Drew then Raw goes off the air so we see that Orton wants nothing to do with the fiend after saying he wasn't afraid of him So maybe he is afraid of The Fiend. Maybe he doesn't want to fight The Fiend because he knows that if he does, he might lose that WWE Championship. So Drew was his better option here. And I I think he made the right choice because if he fought The Fiend, he would have been done already. So we know that now Orton, Drew, and The Fiend, you know, they all had that same goal in mind. Orton's goal is to stay WWE Champion. Drew's is to become WWE Champion. And so is The Fiend. So it's now going to be, you know, a triple threat battle for that WWE Championship. At some point, it might not even be, it might just be you know Fiend versus Drew in a number one contenders match, or something else might happen. I can't tell you exactly what, but those three men or two men are now going after that WWE championship with the Miz lurking behind all of those guys. So Raw Raw this week was pretty good. Um, I give I give it a three out of five stars. It, it was more an improvement over the last couple episodes of Raw. So Raw was pretty good this week. Now we're gonna move on to NXT special edition, NXT High Halloween Havoc. So, this week's episode of NXT kicked off with Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano in the spin the wheel, make the deal match for the North American Championship. We see Johnny Gargano sporting a Jack Skeleton attire, and Damian Priest also got a live entrance. We then pan to Shotzi Black Car who spins the wheel. The wheel ends up landing on a Devil's Playground match, which means no DQs, no count outs, false count anywhere. We get a quick start from both men, but Priest gets the upper hand to take control. We see Gargano begin to build momentum and then it becomes kendo stick versus nightstick both men tried to strike first but none were able to but priest regains control through picture and picture using the steel steps then the fight begins to go to the ramp then johnny gargano builds some offense by countering a razor's edge that damian priest tried to do off the ramp we see johnny gargano use the kendo stick to try to hit his middle rope spear but gets hit with the nightstick and chokeslammed into the ring by damian priest gargano goes for the suicide dive priest catches him he was gonna chokeslam him to the barricade but he gives him a flatliner and a sliced bread into the steel steps for a near fall on the outside then we see priest slam Johnny onto the steel steps then both men battle for control Johnny Gargano walks to the back he opens up a coffin the prop falls out he gets startled so then he super kicks the prop but the distraction gave priest the upper hand then the fight spills even further to the back where Johnny sprays a fire extinguisher onto Damien priest then crushes him with a cart into a gate then he gets a near fall so he continues his attack. Then he puts him in the Gargano escape using a crowbar, but Priest fights out. We see Johnny get a beating and get kicked through a wall. Johnny Gargano beats Damian Priest with a trash can repeatedly, then taunts Priest, who then regains control with the kick. Then he was going to place the reckoning onto Gargano, but he was hit by someone in the scream costume with the pipe. Then Johnny Gargano hits a DDT using the wheel. Then the mystery attacker in the scream costume hands Johnny Gargano a tombstone. He then throws it at Damian Priest who flies off the stage through a prop then Johnny goes down there he crawls his way and ends up making the pin one, two, three to become our new North American champion once again so Johnny Gargano I did not expect him to win at all I thought he was going to lose his fight but then again half of me was like I don't know maybe he might win getting the assist from that person who helped him before I forgot her name but she helped uh, uh Candice LeRae in that Royal Rumble or the Battle Royale excuse me so I figured maybe he would lose part of me was like maybe he'll win so i guess we got johnny gargano winning and now he becomes a two-time north american champion and it was a really good match it was a really good start to the show i think this isn't it for damian priest also they mentioned that bronson reed said he was waiting for whoever won this match so i feel like now we're gonna get bronson reed versus johnny gargano for the north american championship i'm not sure if they still use rematch clause anymore because i don't know how that works anymore sometimes they do sometimes they don't but i'm sure that damian priest is in title Four rematch clause against Johnny Gargano or whoever wins against him and Bronson Reed. After that, we get the costume contest between Wade Barrett and Vic Joseph. Vic Joseph was dressed as Waldo and Wade Barrett was like, this is my costume. I'm Bad News Barrett. And then he says, I have some bad news. I won the costume contest. So it wasn't really a costume contest for Wade Barrett. He was just himself. He, and then while Vic Joseph was Waldo. So in my eyes, Bad News Barrett automatically wins because of who he is, but Vic Joseph had a a really good costume. After that, they pan to the back where Regal is trying to tell Cameron Grimes to get prepared for his match, but Cameron Grimes is scared, so he's constantly trying to weasel his way out of it. And if he didn't want this match, he should have never attacked uh, Dexter Loomis from behind because that clearly was the downfall to his days. Next, we move on to a promo from Pat McAfee, Danny Burch, and Oni Lorcan. Now, before Pat McAfee came out, he was mocking the Undisputed Era, doing the Undisputed sign. He comes out, he says his debut at TakeOver 30 Was the greatest debut of all time on NXT. I think he's wrong. I don't give a crap about Pat McAfee and his debut at NXT TakeOver. He says Cole didn't congratulate him or show him any respect after the match. He just stood over him and posed. Well, they had a rivalry. He did punt kick him in the face while he was on the announce desk. So I don't think you're really going to give him any respect because of the disrespect that Pat McAfee has been giving to Adam Cole. Then he says he hired Rich Holland to attack Cole. And then that's when Kyle O'Reilly comes out alone at that. Then we hear Pete Dunn's music play. He comes out with two chairs. He hands Kyle O'Reilly a chair and then Pat and the goons run off scared. But then we see Dunn do some similar motions we've seen before. You know, he then attacks Kyle O'Reilly with the chair and then they begin to jump Kyle O'Reilly. And then they attack the arm of Kyle O'Reilly. Only Lorkin and Danny Burch then put their tag finisher on him leaving Kyle O'Reilly lifeless in the middle of the ring. So, the way I knew this was going to happen, if you all remember, Seth Rollins' little turn on the shield. He gave from the chair he took a little step back he let the other men step forward and he blasted them with the chair that's exactly what happened here and I sensed the heel turn as soon as I seen him come out and I was like what is Pete Dunne doing out here and then I realized like hmm he's about to join Pat McAfee and go heel and that's exactly what happened so now we have like another little heel faction between uh Danny Burch Oni Lorcan Pete Dunne and Pat McAfee I want to see where that goes it could go really well because it could be four men four on four against the Undisputed Era and it could be a really good match so we'll have to wait and see after that we see regal still trying to get grimes to the match but he says he'd rather take an l then regal allows him to go out the door first and locks him out then a white van pulls up michael p haynes comes out he's like come on just get in so cameron grimes then gets in the car and then they drive off after that we get another match jake atlas versus santos escobar this was a non-title match it wasn't for the cruiserweight championship we've seen a quick kick from santos escobar to give him the edge escobar then smacks Atlas and tell him to quit. This isn't his world. He tries to smack Atlas once again, but he catches his hand and then he starts to finally fight back. We've seen Jake Atlas hit a cartwheel DDT on Escobar. He then goes for the cover, but then Mendoza finally interferes and puts Escobar's foot on the rope to break the pin. Then Atlas hits a tope, taking out Mendoza and Wild. The numbers game proved to be too much for Atlas who tried to fight off Legado del Fantasma, but Mendoza ends up headbutting Jake Atlas in the face with that same mask that Santos Escobar used against Isaiah Swerve Scott. Then he rolls Atlas back into the ring to receive a phantom driver from Santos Escobar who then covers him for the 1-2-3 to win the match. So we see the numbers game becoming too much for Jake Atlas. We see Jake Atlas just, you know, focusing on the wrong things besides Santos Escobar. And that's exactly what cost him in that six-man tag last week. He was so focused on something else, it took his focus off what really was important. So I think Jake Atlas needs to realize that maybe he should focus more on the matches and not what's on the outside even though it might be a distraction to him after that the haunted house of terror finally begins cameron grimes versus dexter loomis it's a cinematic match just like the boneyards well it's cinematic for the beginning we see grimes is scared before he even gets to the destination which was a house then we see loomis stalking him from a tree grimes finds a referee in the corner he asks the ref is this a pinfall of submission then the referee turns around and scares Grimes. then we see dexter loomis bash through the door and start choking grimes Grimes was able to get away by breaking a lamp over Dexter Loomis' head. We see Grimes lock himself in the bathroom where he sees some girl showering. He takes off his clothes and he's like, you can make room for me. And then as soon as he opens the curtains, the girl jumps out and she scares him and he runs off. We see Dexter Loomis try to catch Grimes off guard, but he was able to escape. Then he runs into two monsters. Grimes is jumped on by a monster who he gets rid of. But when he turns around, he sees more monsters. So he runs back to the van. He then gets in the van on the path. Pass- side and then when he turns around he sees Dexter Loomis is in the driver's seat so he runs off and then we get a letter that says to be continued so this is going to continue later on in the night we see Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez coming up next we see both women lock up immediately Rhea tries to Irish whip Gonzalez but she wasn't able to make her move we see both women slugging it out then Rhea shocked that Gonzalez not budging from all her short-arm lariats so they're making Raquel Gonzalez look really good in this match they're making her seem dominant like Rhea Ripley can't even stop her. We see Ripley then mount some offense. She drop kicks Raquel out of the ring, then hits a drop kick from the ring. Then we see Rhea Ripley try to hit a front flip on Raquel Gonzalez, but Raquel ends up catching her. She slams her into the fence that's on the barricade and then the floor. She had control through picture and picture, so we see Raquel Gonzalez in control of Rhea Ripley finally. But then Rhea Ripley again mounts some offense, but it doesn't last so long till the giant Raquel stops it. We see both women battle at the top rope. Raquel counters a riptide, then tosses Rhea off the top rope, and then goes for a pin, and Rhea ends up kicking out. Then Gonzalez tries to go for the finish, but Rhea counters it with a hurricanrana, then delivers a head kick to set up for the riptide, and Rhea Ripley ends up winning the match. So it was a really good match, it was like two battle of the giants, and both women gave it their all, both women were throwing big blows, doing big moves. I think it was a really solid match for these two women, it wasn't anything over the top, it was just two big behemoth fighting to see who was the best at what they do and Rhea Ripley got the upper hand. Like I said before, I hope these two settle their differences and go after their women's tag team championships because I think if they capture those tag team championships, they'll be dominant and they're pretty much the only team that I see fighting for them against Nia and Shayna at this current time and day. After that, we see Cameron Grimes running back to the Capitol Wrestling Center and then they cut to Drake Maverick dressed as Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Killian Dane dressed up as the Shockmaster, but he refuses to fall. So then Drake Maverick's like, you know what? I'll do it. myself." He puts on the mask and then Killian Dane trips him up. So I thought that was pretty funny. They were uh, doing like a scene from back in the day with Hulk Hogan, Mean Gene and stuff like that. Even uh, the lady who was interviewing was telling Drake Maverick like, "Uh, that's not my name. I'm not Mean Gene. He's like, why can't you just play along with it? So I thought that was a pretty funny segment. After that, the Haunted House of Terror match continues. We see Cameron Grimes is back in the ringside area where undead zombies force Grimes back into the ring. Then Loomis attacks him out of nowhere. The zombies then make their way into the ring. Grimes is able to battle one of them. He hits a cave-in on one of the zombies, and then we see a zombie climb onto Loomis, who he then uses that zombie to toss it onto Cameron Grimes. Then he locks on his anaconda device to put Cameron Grimes to sleep. Then the zombies walk inside the ring. They're crawling. They're twisting. They're turning all around Cameron Grimes' lifeless body, and Dexter Loomis just walks away, and he stops and looks at the camera, and it says the end. So I thought it was a really cool, cinematic little play on that match. I thought it was Really cool, uh really good concept. I enjoyed watching. I thought Cameron Grimes was fantastic, his acting was superb, like these were real zombies, but he he played it well, so I can't have anything bad to say about that match. After that, we get a backstage segment where Tommaso Ciampa says he doesn't recognize NXT anymore. He says the attitude is different. He says people just walk around here like they're owed something and they're not. He says he was never handed anything, he was undeniable. That's what people then see about him. He says he was at the top and fate just took it from him. He was alluding to his injury you know he had that neck injury he had the torn ACL he had a lot of injuries he was at the top and all those injuries just took over and you know it caused him to to go backwards a little bit and that's what he meant by saying that fate took that from him he then warns the Velveteen Dream he's coming for him so next week announces the Velveteen Dream versus Tommaso Ciampa and Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai now we move on to the main event of the evening Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship we've seen Io get a live music by Hoppy. I thought it was really good. It was really interesting. That lady just popped up out of nowhere, so I got a little startled. Now, we spin the wheel once again, and it lands on a tables, ladders, and scares match. So now we have ourselves a TLC match for the Women's Championship. We've seen Io Shirai attack quickly, taking out Candice LeRae, until Candice mounted some offense while Io tried to get a ladder. Io then beats up Candice LeRae with body parts, which Candice found while trying to pull out a table. The fight spills to the top of the announce table. Io Shirai tries to suplex Candice Larray but Larray hits her with the laptop across the face knocking her off the announce table. We see Candice Larray set up a ladder from the apron to the announce table. Then Io Shirai launches a chair at her to take control. We see an Io Shirai still in control through picture and picture. Both women bringing ladders into the fight. Candice builds some momentum but EO shuts it down immediately. We see EO go for the over the moon salt but Candice Larray moves forcing Eo to land on the pile of chairs that Io Shirai set up. Then Candice Larray beats Io Shirai with a chair. Then Candice tries to suplex Io onto the chair but she ends up reversing it suplexing Candace onto the chair. Both women then battle at the top but Candace gets knocked off and then Io puts her foot in a chair and pulls off a dragon screw. So, she put her foot inside of a chair and then did a dragon screw. So you know that kinda had to hurt. The end match was Candace neck breakers Io Shirai through tables. Then the scream character lifts up Candace, then carries her up the ladder but Shotzi ends up intervening taking out the mystery person. We see Candace knocked that at the top. Io then tries to climb up but then gets knocked off. Then Io knocks Candace off the ladder pushing her to the outside onto a ladder she set up earlier. It was nasty and, and it was just like the way she landed just hurt. She landed leg first and I was like damn it's over for her knees. She's torn an ACL. But we see Io Shirai climb up and retain her title. So that was a really good match. It was a really good main event. Th- these women are always giving their best on NXT. So I thought it was a phenomenal main event and these two deserve it but that spell off the top of the ladder from Candice I think that was pretty pretty brutal I wonder if she's truly okay because I think that she was supposed to land on her back but she ended up going knee first which made it look more scary so I hope she's okay but NXT Halloween Havoc tonight was really good I thought it was a good little show it should have been a pay-per-view but it was really good that it's a four-star rating for me I thought it was really good there's some things that could have been a little better but I think that this show all around was a really good rendition of Halloween Havoc, which we haven't seen for many, many years. Now, we're gonna move on to NXT UK. NXT UK this week kicked off with Valkyrie versus Danny Luna. It was a technical start for both women. They were exchanging holds back and forth. Both women were super, super talented. They were trying everything they could, but this match just kept going back and forth. No one was really able to take control. We've seen Valkyrie with some really unique offense, something you don't see from most women. I think she possesses a gift that most women don't have. She's super athletic. She's a high flyer as a female she's a hybrid where do you see a lot of female high flyers a lot of aerial offense from females and done executed perfectly and i think she's like a super breed she's a rare breed of woman in the the wrestling world we see danny try to build some offense but can't she ends up taking a spin kick then she hits her with the scissors kick from the top rope to pick up the win so we see valkyrie remain undefeated in nxt uk and i hope to see her win that championship one day i feel like she can hold that title she can beat kaylee ray for it, and then she'll put the women's division on the map. We learn that the Heritage Cup will continue next week. It will not continue this week. Now we move on to the Eddie Dennis segment. You know, last week he said he was going to call out Flash Morgan, Webster, and Mark Andrews to see who really attacked who. We see Andrews speak. Then Dennis comes out. He says Mark used him on the independent scene, and now he's using Flash Morgan. He says Webster needs to think who had everything to lose if Webster became a singles competitor. Pretty Deadly then comes out. Then Andrews says, we have friends too. Then the hunt appears. Then Dennis says, you don't listen. Keep your friends close. Then the hunt turns on Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, destroying them, leaving them lifeless in the ring. So I think that Eddie Dennis's mission was to turn Flash Morgan and, Fl- and Andrews against each other, but that didn't end up working. I think if he would have kept it going just a little longer, maybe it would have happened, but it didn't happen at this point. So now we see that the hunt has turned heel, but if you were paying attention, you would learn that it was the hunt all along. You could just tell it was them from a year ago, from when when they seen uh, Mark Andrews on the ground, they were there. When Flash Morgan Webster was attacked, they were there. They were pretty obvious that they were the people who attacked them. So uh, most of us seen it coming. Some of you probably didn't. But I seen the hunt, you know, turning on Mark and Webster. After that, they pan to the back where Priddly Deadly is talking to the assistant to the general manager, Sid Scala. They're saying they deserve a title match against Gallus. And then Gallus comes out of nowhere and then they challenge them. We also learned that Mark Coffey, uh, no, not Mark Coffey, Joe Coffey is coming back. Back next week, and there will be a six-man tag between Gallus, pretty deadly, and I forgot the other guy's name. I don't know why I didn't take his name down, but it's someone else, and I'll figure it out eventually. So, now we move on to Jordan Devlin versus Levi Muir's. Devlin was in control early with holds and aggressive offense. Levi tries some desperation roll-ups, but Devlin stops it. Devlin hits a headbutt, then he hits his finish, then he locks on a Texas Cloverleaf for the win. After the match, he tells Cruiserweights the real champion is back. You want it, you got a come and get it from the Devlin show so it's good to see that Jordan Devlin is back he looked really dumb in this match he gained a lot of muscle and you could tell he's been really working hard during this COVID times so what was really interesting to me was he came out with the Cruiserweight Championship so now this leads me to believe that soon it's going to be Santos Escobar versus Jordan Devlin for the real Cruiserweight Championship at some point maybe when COVID is like slightly over or they're able to travel from the UK to United States so hopefully we see that match happen sooner than later because I think that's going to be a really good match to determine who truly is the real Cruiserweight champion. Next, we're going to move on to the main event. It is Ilja Dragunov versus Walter for the UK Championship. And let me tell you, this match for me has been the most, most, most hype match that I've been waiting for. And I can't wait to talk to you about it because it was a fantastic match like I assumed it would be. This match starts off with Ilja Dragunov and Walter with a quick start. Both men exchange chops, strikes, and moves. This match was so fast-paced early on. We see Ilya Dragunov hit a senton early after blocking Walter's powerbomb. Then he goes for Torpedo Moscow but Walter catches him in the sleeper suplex. Both men then exchange chop. Ilya Dragunov takes a nasty whiplash when thrown to the outside of the ring which allows Walter to take control. And remember Enzo Amore got concussed when this happened to him. You should go back and watch this match because it was fantastic. But this this uh, was a scary moment for me. I thought Ilya Dragunov was hurt and they were going to stop the match. But he wasn't hurt and he was, ended up being okay. So they played on it the rest of the match. We see Ilya try to suplex Walter, but his neck injury prevented him. Then Walter rains down some vicious tops. Ilya tries to throw his own chops, but Walter hits proved to be too much. Dragunov cannot mount any offense without Walter stopping it. Walter then starts to focus on that injured neck, but Ilya Dragonoff would not stay down. Walter was dominating in this match, but still can't pull away Ilya. Ilya Dragonoff then builds momentum with multiple German suplexes. I was surprised that he even got Walter off his feet. Ilya lifts up Walter Walter for a God style German then gets the near fall then begins to stomp out Walter but Walter still deadly from the ground to land some strikes Walter attempted a sleeper multiple times, but there was no success then Ilja hits a beautiful flurry that takes both men off their feet then Ilja tries torpedo Moscow but gets smacked out the air Walter was handing out vicious chops, but Ilja just won't stop coming Then Walter hits his finishing move but gets a near fall and everyone is shocked that dragon are still able to kick out Walter locks on a dragon sleeper but Ilja gets to the ropes then Walter tries to lock on a sleeper but can't then Ilja builds up some momentum with some slaps a chop and a drop kick from the top rope both men were clearly fatigued in this match they just started throwing bombs on each other we seen Ilja hit torpedo Moscow and we thought it was all over but he couldn't cover because of the neck then he tries to do it again but the neck injury stops him Walter hits a sleeper suplex on the outside then power bombs him onto the apron then he does a power bomb inside the ring he then goes to hit a splash, he does, but Ilja Dragunov kicks out, then Walter grounds and pounds him and puts the sleeper on him and Ilja Dragunov finally goes to sleep and Walter retains his NXT UK title and this was such a phenomenal match all the hype that was behind this match was so perfect, this match was clearly the match of the year for me and there's probably no other match that's gonna compete with this match I thought this match was phenomenal, both men were throwing bombs, at the end of the match you could see that Ilja could barely stand his chest was so red, it started bleeding bleeding from his chest. He was even bleeding from his mouth. Walter could barely stand. Both of these men had given their all into this match and I thought this match was perfect. This match could not have gone any better. Now, of course, I would have wanted Ilya Dragunov to win the championship but maybe they feel like he's just not ready enough to carry the brand yet. I feel like he can but they feel like he can't. So eventually, I know we're going to see him at the top holding that UK championship from Walter or from whoever takes it from Walter. But all around, NXT UK this week was a really good show but this match just put it at the top. One of the better UKs we've seen in such a long time and if you think something else is match of the year contender other than this match, you let me know because I'll tell you that this match right here was probably the best match of the year. So now we're going to move on to the long two hour episode of AEW Dark. This week's episode of Dark started off with Top Flight versus Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. We also had Anthony Ogogo on commentary. I believe he's a famous boxer. Uh, Stu starts off this fight hot. Top Flight was in control of Evil Uno until Uno chops one down to tag in Stu Grayson top flight is really impressive they were really good they were a really good tag team they're real brothers so that's why they have such real good chemistry and I think they have a future in the wrestling world they were really good on the independent scene but they have a really good future in any company they go to we see Evil and Stu Grayson such a great tag team they were in control for a while till Martin counters opening a window to tag his brother who comes in hot he showcases his moveset he's flying around the He's doing all these high-flying moves. Grayson then hits a suicide dive on both men, then throws one back in the ring to hit their fatality for the win. So we see Evil Uno and Stu Grayson picking up the win once again. Uh, Top Flight has a really bright future in this company and wherever else they go, like I said before. So uh, much much respect to those guys. We see next Ricky Starks versus VSK. It was a quick start for VSK until Starks hit him with a need to gain control. But then VSK builds up some momentum and then eats a spear out of nowhere. Then Ricky Starks hit the Rochambeau for the win. So this was a super quick match. It wasn't like more than two seconds. I think this was like just to showcase more of Ricky Starks and to build up Ricky Starks to get him a, a title shot somewhere down the line against either Darby, Cody or Orange Cassidy, whoever wins it. Then we get a segment where Allie says it was too easy to get into the Nightmare family and she got bored with QT. Now she's with her real family. So Allie was playing QT and the Nightmare family the whole time forever Kingston, not Freddie Kingston I guess, but for her own benefit. After that we get Matt Seidel versus Lee Johnson. This match had a real technical start for both men. Lee starts to build momentum until Seidel drops him on his neck. We see Seidel showing more of his submission skills, more of his grappling that he's learned. He's not really taking the high-flying approach. We see Lee build up some momentum with two suicide dives. Then Seidel crawls under the ring which distracts Lee and Seidel attacks him from behind. Lee goes for the blue thunder bomb and Seidel ends up countering it with the kick. Then Seidel hits a swinging neckbreaker. He goes for a pin, then turns it into a cobra clutch for the win. So once again, Seidel is not using that shooting star press. He is using that cobra clutch submission. After that, the next match was Hikaru Shida versus Layla Hirsch. Uh, This was Layla Hirsch's debut. Apparently she's been really big on the independent scene and AEW is giving her a try. We also had Mirror on commentary. Now this match started real technical, but then it ended in a stalemate. Then Shida takes control with the backbreaker. Both women then exchange strikes. Shida gets the best of Hirsch though. Hirsch builds momentum until she goes for a moonsault and misses. Sheeta then goes for the Michinoku Driver and Hirsch puts her in an armbar as a counter. I thought that was a really good counter from that Michinoku Driver position. Sheeta ends up breaking out, but then Sheeta hits a knee, then hits her Falcon Arrow for the win. Next we have another backstage promo from QT. He says everyone warned him about Ali, but he didn't listen. But the family won't take their spot. And Dustin and QT are number four on the tag team rankings. I think the Butcher and the Blade are right behind them. So can we see the Butcher and the Blade take their spot? Maybe. After that, we see Jersey Muscle and Danny Limelight versus Jurassic Express. We see Jungle Boy and Limelight have a stalemate early until Jungle Boy tags in Marco who takes control for just a second. Marco builds up some offense, but Limelight stops it. We see a Luchasaurus hot tag. Then after that hot tag, we see all men get in the ring and take out one another. Then Jersey Muscles puts the tag team finisher on Marco's stunt, but he kicks out, then he tags Jungle Boy, who takes out everyone, then pulls out some of the triple team offense, then they launch Marco for a Canadian Destroyer for the win. So Marco stunt looked really good in this match. I was really surprised that they gave Marco a little more shine than they usually do. He had some really good offense. He was holding his own, and to finish it with a Canadian Destroyer that just happened so quickly was really impressive. So good showing from Marco's stunt this week. Next on the card, we have SCU versus the Hybrid 2. We see Kaz and Helico going back and forth early. We also hear Miro on commentating, complaining about best friends destroying his arcade machine. We all know it was by accident. I don't know why there was an arcade machine on the outside. But we go back to the match. SCU was in control of Jack Evans for a while until Evans took control with an assist from Angelico. We see frequent tags from TH2 allowing him to stay in control. We see Daniels tagging Kaz who comes in hot. Late in the match we see Kaz roll up TH2 on a miscommunication. Then SCU end up picking up the win. But after the match we see TH2 attack Kaz and Daniels leaving them just laying there in the ring and i think this is like i think th2 has had enough of losing well as a tag team so they just want to send the message to kaz and daniels after that we had catalina perez versus anna J with brandy rose on commentary we know that brandy rose and anna jay have a lot of history and a lot of animosity to each other we've seen brandy rose says she's angry because anna attacked her on a shot of brandy she even attacked her dog so if you watched an episode of shot of brandy last week you've seen that john silver was on it and then at the end of the episode so Anna Jay comes in, sprays the security guard with cooking spray, and then both women exchange blows. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, We've seen Anna Jay in control early. Perez builds up some momentum. She goes for an elbow, but she ends up missing. Then we see Anna Jay take control back. Then Anna Jay locks on the Queen Slayer for the win. And then as she's walking up the ramp, she's completely ignoring Brandy while Brandy's trying to get her attention. So we know Anna Jay does not care about Brandy Rose, but clearly Brandy cares about Anna and she wants her revenge. After that, we get Brandon Cutler versus Peter Avalon, and in this match, someone has to win. There is no count no disqualifications, no nothing. Someone has to win this match. So we see Cutler attack early, but not fully able to take control. The fight spills to the outside, then Peter tosses Cutler off the ramp, then dies from the stage onto Cutler. We see Peter Avalon set up a table, but then we see Brandon Cutler take control using a trash can. He then places that trash can on Peter Avalon, and then he hits an L drop on Peter Avalon who had that trash bin on him. He then sets up the table and tries to powerbomb Peter Avalon who reverses it to do a bag body drop. Then Brandon Cutler goes through the table. Cutler then dodges the martini late in the match. Then Cutler hits a big move for a near fall. Then he gets a bag of dice from under the ring which looked like thumbtacks because it was in that thumbtack bag. And then he tries to suplex Peter Avalon but there was no one who was successful because both men tried to go back and forth. Then Cutler goes for a springboard but gets caught in a urinal onto books for a near fall. We then see Peter try to snatch a book from Leva. Then he pulls her into the ropes and then says she's worthless. He never needed her. Then Leva says, you were relevant because of me. And then slaps him. Cutler tries to take advantage but wasn't able to. Then we see Cutler and Peter go through a table. And then the young bucks come out to cheer on Cutler. So that motivation for Brandon Cutler came through. Avalon goes for her Karana from the top. He hits it, but Brandon uses that momentum to roll up Peter Avalon to pick up his first win so peter avalon now 26 and 0 while brandon cutler is 1 and 27 and i think that this match is you know it was a good match it was a good match they played this story very well and there had to be a winner and there was a winner and it was brandon cutler and that's a good start for brandon cutler but now i'm pretty sure they're done with this storyline i'm pretty sure we won't see brandon and peter avalon fight anymore after that we get anthony bowens and max carter versus the best friends max carter started off with a rap and i thought it was pretty Pretty terrible and I thought like this was just a waste of my time at this point I was getting bored because AW is now AW dark excuse me is now two hours like becoming two hours and I think that's a little too long like I feel like if it's this long like my my tension span just goes elsewhere but back to the match we see Bowens build up some momentum off a missed moonsault by Chucky then Trent gets tagged and then the tide changes but that doesn't last long and out of nowhere best friend takes control and hit the strong zero for the win so it wasn't that long of a match. We've seen a couple offensive moves by Max Caster and Anthony Bowens, but other than that, it wasn't a super strong, super long match. I wasn't really enjoying this match at all. Next, we have Brian Cage versus Fuego Del Sol. Fuego tries to mount some offense, but Cage stops it to dominate Fuego. We see Fuego go for that DDT, but is countered. And then Brian Cage tries to put on that drill claw, but Fuego ends up countering that. And then out of nowhere, Brian Cage hits the Weapon X for the win. So we knew this was going to be a squash match. We knew Fuego del Sol wasn't gonna win or come remotely close to winning. So you know, it's just this is just the AEW format that they're doing right now. After that, we see Ten versus Sean Maluta. Sean Maluta mounts some offense, but is quickly stopped by Ten. Then he launches Sean to the outside, where Five hits a shotgun dropkick. Ten then wins via ripcord reverse rainmaker. Then him and Five put their tag finisher on Sean after the match. So we have two squash matches in a row, and I, I, like I said, this these just these just become a waste of time. And like, I I think this show is just too long for stuff like this. This is why they want 15 matches on the show. But after that, we've seen Ivalice and Diamante versus Kylie King and Savannah Evans. We've seen Kylan King and Evans start off quick. But a counter led to Ivalice and Diamante taking control, which they held on to. Evans makes the tag to King to take control for just a bit until Diamante and Ivalice take control. Then we see Ivalice knock out Evans off the apron. Then Diamante hits a Canadian Destroyer on King the the win. The next match was Sonny Kiss versus Aaron Solo. It was a quick match for Sonny until Solo knocks him off the top rope to regain control. Sonny tries to build momentum as Solo taunts, but he was unable to. Then Solo was distracted with the ref, so Sonny took control. We see Sonny hit a split leg moonsault from the top to win. Then Lance Archer comes and destroys everyone. Jake then grabs the mic. Jake says, anything Archer does is not on him anymore. Jake says, he hasn't DDT'd anyone in such a long time. It's gonna to be some changes around AEW. Archer says Mox didn't beat him. He survived. Then he says Eddie bitched and complained. That's how he got his second title opportunity. And then he sent Phoenix to attack him and he won't let that go. He says he is the Jason Voorhees of AEW because he's never going to stop coming for that title. He's going to cause havoc. So Archer is clearly not done with the family or Jon Moxley. After that, we get Nick Comrado versus Will Hobbs. Nick attacks Hobbs quickly to try to take advantage, but Will Hobbs ends up taking the Advantage with the shoulder block, knocking Nick out of the ring. Then he takes the action back inside the ring where Camarado takes advantage once again. We've seen Hobbs hit a spine buster, which pretty much could have ended the match. But then we see Hobbs go up to the top rope to hit a frog splash for the win. So remember, Hobbs going up to that top rope against Brian Cage cost him the match. This time it didn't. So now we know that he's adding a frog splash to his repertoire as his finish. After that, we move on to the main event it's Alex Chamberlain versus Darby Allen. We see Darby. Allen get an arm bar early then mount some quick offense Alex then fakes a knee injury to take advantage for just a little bit until Darby mounts up some offense with a coffin drop then a stunner and then he hits another coffin drop for the win we see Team Taz after the show then jump Darby Allen but then Will Hobbs makes the save so I'm gonna assume that Will Hobbs is not joining Team Taz and that he's gonna tell Taz or FTW that he's not joining that team so this is AW Dark now before before I move on to the next show i'm gonna take a second aw dark has become two hours this is very long very boring sometimes aw dark is not all that exciting don't get me wrong there is some good matches at times but other than that 15 matches are too much and if they continue to go more than an hour i will not cover the whole show i will just tell you who won the matches because this is becoming a lot you know i i I love wrestling i do but watching two hours of jobbers and you know squash matches i'm just not for it and i I don't want to waste my time covering things that i pretty much sometimes don't even care about so if aw continues to go for more than two hours and have 15 matches on the card i will not be reviewing it anymore i will just be telling you who won the matches on aw dark and for those of you who like aw dark unfortunately i'm sorry but this is just becoming too much trying to cover six shows and cover hours worth of content in such a small time span becomes a lot and when a a small show that usually was supposed to be an hour jumps to two hours to two hours plus it just becomes a little harder for me to cover more stuff so with that being said hopefully you enjoy this cover but next week if it's two hours plus then i won't be covering AEW dark anymore now we're going to move on to aew dynamite and this week's AEW dynamite kicked off with wardlow and mjf being interviewed wardlow is asked if he wins the tournament how does it feel knowing you would win the world title and then he was about to speak but mjf interrupts him and says he's proud of wardlow but if he wins and beats the champ he says the AEW championship becomes his because everything Wardlow owns goes to him because he's under contract then Sammy G comes out and he interrupts he says you know this is the way you talk to people this is how you make your friends he also tells MJF that he's gonna make sure he doesn't join the inner circle and then MJF says you know he's seen what he did to Matt Hardy he says I'm gonna give you some advice on promos don't he says Sammy's look like a guy who sells Adderall to high school kids then he asks Sammy if he's mad and Sammy says you know what I'm not mad I'm just thinking about all the things I'm gonna do about it so they're teasing a little Sammy MJF feud they've been like teasing like Sammy leaving the inner circle for a really long time I hope that's not the case I hope they're just doing something different uh I don't know if MJF is gonna join the inner circle this week I don't know if he's gonna join tonight maybe sometime maybe he's gonna do something else but that seems to be their plan right now teasing MJF joining the inner circle and Sammy kind of branching off and doing something else but now we move on to our first match of the evening it is Wardlow versus hangman adam page round two of our tournament we see the graphic says that hangman is emotionally unavailable means nobody can get to him this guy's mind is somewhere else and we know it's somewhere else you know his partner went on a singles run they lost the tag team championships he lost all his friends he has nothing right now so i'm sure he's emotionally unavailable but it was a quick start for adam page then he eats a vicious right hand from wardlow who then takes control hangman tries to build some offense off a dive but wardlow catches him then hangman pushes wardlow into the the ring post which pissed him off so he speared hangman adam page through the barricade we see hangman unable to build some offense but when Wardlow goes for his knee finish hangman counters it into an arm bar but warlow stops the momentum then warlow tries a senton, on but hangman dodges both men exchange elbows and clothesline then both men fall off the ring due to a clothesline then page hits his arihara moonsault which is probably the most beautiful moonsault in pro wrestling we see warlow then kick out later in the match at one then hangman goes for the buck shot but Wardlow dodges then he hits a vicious clothesline for a near fall then he hits the f10 but hangman rolls out of the ring so hangman able to dodge a pinfall attempt we see hangman then hit the fall away slam from the top rope late in match then he sets up for the buckshot larry he doesn't hit just one he hits two buckshot lariats for the win so we will see hangman adam page advance to the finals and we already know how this is set up we know that it's gonna be kenny omega versus hangman adam page this is this tournament isn't for anybody else let's get this straight it isn't for anyone else it is just to set up a match between these two men and that's gonna be a hell of a match at full gear i'm pretty sure of it but we can't count it out we never know maybe they might change it up because it might seem a little too obvious but the way wrestling works they never really switch it up when it's too obvious anyway so hangman versus whoever tonight either pentagon or kenny omega like i said we know it's kenny and at full gear so we're gonna move on to a promo from john moxley he says he's defended his championship with all he's got that this title defense is personal this one is just for him he says Eddie Kingston will have nobody to blame when he quits so we know this match came about when uh John Moxley put that bulldog choke on Eddie Kingston during their title match Eddie Kingston didn't tap he didn't quit he just passed out so you know this is what Lance Archer was talking about on dark you know he bitched and moaned and he got a second title opportunity that's what he got so that's gonna be a really good physical match and my prediction is I would like to see Eddie Kingston walk out with the championship i think that guy deserves it he's done his tenured in the wrestling industry and he deserves a title and he can do a really good job of holding it the guy cuts excellent promos the guy can wrestle the guy can put over guys if he wants to but that's my prediction if it's john moxley it's john moxley but i think eddie kingston should take the title the next match on the card was eddie kingston versus matt seidel eddie kingston talked before his match eddie says he's tired of talking he wants to fight but our champ is a coward then he kicks the cameraman out the ring he says you don't belong here you didn't make you know you he didn't put the time in to be inside this ring. Then he sees Archer in the crowd and he taunts him and he's like yeah just making fun of him. Then we see Matt Seidel come out and the match begins. We see a technical start from both men. They were exchanging holds. We see Seidel take control for the time being until Eddie Kingston catches him out of a flying heel kick to take control. Matt Seidel finally mounts some offense but out of nowhere Eddie Kingston hits a spinning back fist. Then he puts on John Moxley's submission, the bulldog choke which forces Seidel to tap. Then he holds it even longer when the matches over and tells Ali to ask him if he quits. Then Seidel says he quits. And he kept saying, huh, how does it feel, Moxley? How does it feel? So he kept calling Seidel Moxley when he was putting that choke on him. So like I said, this rivalry, has it's really heated right now. So I I hope Eddie Kingston gets this title because it could change the momentum and the flow of AEW as we know it. After that, we get an Excalibur interview with FTR and the Young Bucks. Matt says he's okay. He'll be fine at full gear. That injury, that chair attack that FTR did to him, really didn't do so much damage even if it did he'll still be there dax then says this is a dream match and whoever walks out champions their legacy will be cemented as the best tag team and that i can agree these two are the best tag teams in the world i don't care what anyone says people are gonna say oh ftr is boring they're not the same but people just want high flying uh all this fast action ftr is a technical a calculated team and they've done it they put on great matches in nxt with tommaso champa johnny gargano american alpha AOP. Though They had some really good matches. If you really think uh, FTR is not one of the best tag teams in the world, then I guess you're not watching their matches. We then hear Matt say that the Bucks were missing a spark and FTR helped them find it. The old Bucks are back, which means heel Bucks, Bucks who don't give a crap about anything and they're just going to super kick anything in their path. Then, you know, Excalibur was going to ask Nick a question and FTR was like, hey, listen, you're asking them all these questions. You don't even need us in this interview anymore. So FTR leaves. Then the Young Bucks mentioned that they have some sort Sort of stipulation for this match and then they say if they don't win at full gear they will never challenge for the titles ever again so are we really going through this cody route once again we all know that when cody fought jericho he was like if i lose i'll never challenge for the world title again so do we really think that the young bucks really want to go through with this stipulation now when this stipulation was put with cody we all thought cody was going to win the title because we're like you know he's not that crazy they're not going to not ever give him world War title shot and he ended up losing and he never getting a world title shot so without saying seeing the Bucks Tag Team Champions in AEW ever be good for the company. So I feel like the Young Bucks are going to win this one. I don't think they're ev- they're going to lose this match. I think FTR loses the title to the Young Bucks and then at some point they lose them again because I don't see the Young Bucks not ever challenging for the Tag Team Championships. Let me know what you think because this is a really crazy stipulation for them to do and I really hope that they don't lose this match because then they'll never be Tag Team Champions and then what's the point of them being in the company? You understand what I'm saying? Now it is time for the Inner Circle to town hall. We see Luchasaurus. He has a question for MJF. He says, how can you help the inner circle's profits? Then MJF shows us a chart of how their, you know, their profits go spiking once he joins the inner circle. Then Britt Baker and Rebel speak. Rebel flirts with Chris Jericho a little bit. She talks about his hair and his smile. Then Britt Baker asks Chris Jericho, well, MJF has a problem holding on to his friends. Then Jericho says, he's not an idiot like Cody and if he betrays me, then we'll beat him up. Then Peter Avalon comes up to ask the question. He asks, can he Join the inner circle. Then they take a second, and then they laugh at him, and then tell him no. Then we see Eric Bischoff appear. He asks MJF, "What can he do for the inner circle?" Then MJF says, "Friendship," and then he gets booed. Then he's also asked, "What can he do for the inner circle?" MJF says, "He's not the best team player, but he can learn to be." And then Eric Bischoff says that Jericho is a prima donna. Then Jericho gets upset. Then Tony Schiavone yells to Chris Jericho to shut up. Then Eric Bischoff goes on to say that MJF is exactly the same he then asks the important question what if mjf does join the inner circle who's to say these two won't just kill each other then mjf avoids the question Jericho says answer how can we be sure mjf says he's given everything then asked what hasn't he done then Jericho says beat me so Jericho says I will challenge you to a match at full gear and if you win you can join the inner circle so we have mjf versus Jericho at full gear mjf says he'll do everything Anything to win So It's gonna be a really good match These two have never faced off In AEW And I think it's gonna be A fantastic match After the little interview Ortiz grabs the mic He says Nobody wants you In the inner circle Then says Him and Sammy Will fight him And Wardlow next week So We have Sammy Guevara And Ortiz Versus MJF And Wardlow I don't see that going In Santana And Sammy Guevara's You know Their, their favor But MJF and, and Jericho That's the excitement Now we have a new match Added to full gear And I'm going I think it's gonna be a really good match. Do you see MJF joining the inner circle? Uh, I kind of see it then I kind of don't so I'm 50-50 on it But now we know after that FTW appears on the screen They say that Will Hobbs needs to make a decision and I think he's made that decision already I don't think that they realize that he's not going to join them or maybe he will it could go a different way than what We are thinking Will Hobbs could just be leading us on to think that he doesn't want to join them and ends up joining them Anyway, so we'll just have to wait to see on that. So now the next match on the card is Orange Cassidy versus Cody Rhodes for the TNT title in a Lumberjack match. So we see both men with quick attempts at their finishing move. Then Orange fakes his hands in his pocket move to take down Cody and apply a side headlock. We see that Orange Cassidy is more serious. He's not joking around. He's not doing his slow gimmick. He is taking the fight to Cody. Then Dark Order makes their presence felt by grabbing Cody's legs, getting him rolled up for the two count. Cody then regains control, then does push-ups. Arn Anderson gets a little upset because he's not taking Orange Cassidy seriously. Then Orange Cassidy hits a vertical delayed suplex on Cody. When have we ever seen Orange Cassidy do something like that. We see Cody and Orange up on the outside, but nobody attacks. Cody knocks Orange off the apron, but best friends catch him. When it happens to Cody, best friends catch him and then drop him, which upsets Cody, so he pushes Trent. Then we see Trent take a cheap shot on Cody later in the match. It was a back and forth battle so far for both men until Cody took control through picture and picture. Orange Cassidy then gets thrown to the outside. They attack Cassidy. Then the Lumberjacks fight each other. Then Orange goes up to the top. Cody stops him. Then he hits a superplex on Orange on all the Lumberjacks. Then we hear the announcement, 10 minutes remaining. Orange builds momentum. He does his finisher but gets a near fall. Then the Dark Order come in and then Silver hits a punt kick on Cassidy. Then we've seen Arn Anderson hit Orange with a cheap shot. Then Cody hits the crossroads to retain. Then the Lumberjacks get in the ring and start to brawl. So Orange Cassidy did not win the TNT title. I thought he was going to win it this time. We've seen Cody and Arn Anderson take some different routes this week. I don't know. Are we going to see a Cody heel turn soon? Because the whole elite seems like they're going to go bad eventually. So might as well go bad together. But, you know, seeing, seeing Orange Cassie not win this kind of upsets me because I feel like, you know, he deserves it. This guy's been in some really good matches with Chris Jericho. He's been in a lot of matches and he should be champion right now. You know, Cody should have just been like, hey, you know what? Take it for a while. Have someone else hold it. And that's it. I feel like this the title is just built for Cody and I'm not going to like it if that's the case. Because if he fights Darby, Allen at full gear and wins the title, then I know it's just for him. Unless somebody comes back, maybe Pac comes back. Hopefully, Pac's come back and takes that title from him. But we can't stray away from the big picture here. We've seen the Dark Order attack Orange Cassidy. Are the Dark Order protecting Cody Rhodes and making sure he holds on his title so Brody Lee could take it? I don't know what the case is with that, but I don't know why they didn't attack Cody and they attacked Orange. It's a mystery so far. We'll just have to wait and see how that plays out because maybe the Dark Order and Cody might be little some some little uh plan to keep the title on him i don't know how, how that's gonna work maybe i'm wrong maybe it was just you know just a, a turn of events that they hit cassidy and not cody but that's a little fishy that they didn't hit cody and that's truly their main target so like i said we'll just have to wait for the up and coming weeks to see we'll probably have to wait till full gear for something interesting to really happen now we're gonna move on to the next match which is serena Dev versus layla hearst for the nwa women's championship and yes you've heard that correctly serena Dev beat Thunder Rosa for the title on a live show in the NWA. It happened on the UWN primetime live show. Serena Dev ended up capturing that title. And what have I told you guys? Serena Dev is championship material, and I knew one day she was gonna capture a title. I just didn't think it was gonna be Thunder Rosa's title. So now that leads me to ask: where does Thunder Rosa go from here? If she was gonna stay with AEW, wouldn't you think she'll keep the NWA title? Does that mean she'll go to WWE? We'll just have to wait and find out. But like I said, anything could happen happen in the wrestling world. So this match starts off with a technical start from both women exchanging hold. Layla built some momentum, which didn't last long until Serena countered. Then she did a standing guillotine choke and a neckbreaker combo on the apron. Deb was in control through picture in picture. We end up seeing Serena Deb submit Layla Hirsch. So it was a super quick match. It wasn't like 10 minutes. It was my like six minutes. Wasn't a lot. It was a lot of control for Serena Deb. We had some small momentum builds from Layla Hirsch, but it wasn't anything crazy. But Serena Debb is your new champion. Let me know what you think about that. And I think she's defending this title like eight days after she won it. So she's doing some quick matches and some quick title defenses. I wonder what's next for Serena Deb. Then we see Sheeta accept Nyla Rose's full gear challenge for the AW Women's Championship. So that's going to be another good match at full gear. After that, it's Sean Spears versus VSK. We've seen that Sean Spears on AW Dark trash Scorpio Sky's locker room. So they the rivalry is getting a lot more heated we see the match finally begin we see sean spears hit the c4 to end the match in under 30 seconds so that was a really quick match for sean spears that was just to show his you know strength his power and how quickly he can end things we see someone then throw something at sean spears from the crowd he goes and then he pushes the guy in the costume in the ring we then see spears turn around to load the glove the mask is taken off and revealed to be scorpio sky who hits the tko on sean spears so he trashes locker room and now scorpio 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 Sky is in disguise in the crowd and then he attacks him so these guys are getting personal I don't know if they're gonna fight at full gear maybe they'll fight on Wednesday on Dynamite but I don't think this is gonna be a full gear match but this will be a really good rivalry both of these men really know each other very well it's two clash of styles you got Spears who is more technical power more calculated you got Scorpio Sky who's a high flyer but can have more of a technical side and a grappling side so it's interesting to see how these two match up we also get a confirmation for Full Gear. Orange Cassidy versus John Silver at Full Gear on their buy-in show. So, I guess Orange Cassidy wants his revenge on John Silver for costing him that title. Now, it's time for the main event. Pentagon El Cero Miedo versus Kenny Omega in the round two semifinals. We see Omega with another grand entrance. Let's not forget that he beat Sonny Kiss in 26 seconds. So, we, we know that Kenny Omega is not gonna beat uh, Pentagon in 26 seconds, but... I know this is going to be a really good match. We see an aggressive start from Omega. We see him then pull out the AAA title. Then both men exchange chops. He didn't use that title, of course. He placed it on the ground. And it was pretty much a taunt to, to Ray Phoenix because he beat Ray Phoenix for that title. And, you know, Ray Phoenix is hurt, so he had to watch from the outside. He couldn't really do anything. But we see then Kenny Omega catches Pentagon's glove when he tries to do his signature taunt. Then he takes control with a couple of quick kicks. We see Pentagon build some momentum with a toe pick con hilo then he grabs his knee playing as if he heard it i don't think he really heard it during this match you know he you know they try to always play on these dives hurting these guys but i don't think that was the case in this this match we seen penta in control through picture in picture then omega takes control with a dive of his own but penta doesn't let him get hot he hits him with a kick and then a cross body then later on this match this match became a back and forth contest neither man was able to take control we seen omega hit a power bomb and then a knee for a near fall then he hits the v trigger then he. He attempts another V trigger, but Penta fights it off. Then he kicks Penta in the back of the head and then hits another V trigger. So, so far we've seen Kenny Omega try to hit like five V triggers in like one sitting. We see Penta hits a destroyer on the ramp to Kenny Omega after countering him. Then Penta hits a package Power driver in the ring for a near fall. Then late match, Kenny hits a V trigger out of nowhere. Then goes for the one wing angel, but Penta counters. He then snaps the arm of Kenny Omega. We see Penta then try to hit a springboard, but Eden knee out of nowhere. Then Kenny Omega finally lands the one winged angel for the win. So we have Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page in the finals at full gear. Like I told you, this match was designed this tournament was designed for these two men. So now they will clash at full gear. And all around, I think tonight's show was really good uh, I was kind of disappointing with the Orange Cassidy Cody match, but that was pretty much my only takeaway from this match. I still think Orange Cassidy should be that champion but I don't write the show, so all around AW was a good show. It was a solid four for me out of the five. Uh, I think that we have a lot of good stories. We still haven't seen where Will Hobbs is deciding to go. We now know that Omega and Hangman will fight. I'm sure that'll be an instant classic. I don't know if Ray Phoenix and Pentagon at some point will feud because I don't know he lost he got the spot from Ray Phoenix and then he ends up losing. So anything can happen with that. Also, th- another takeaway was Eddie Kingston. You know, I hope that he really wins this title. After Full gear. They're really building up to it, and I hope that they stick with this plan of, you know, maybe he might take the title from him. But like I said, all around really good episode for AEW Dynamite. Now we're gonna move on to our last show of the night, Friday Night Smackdown. So we kick off the show with Roman Reigns and Jay Uso is already in the ring. We know they had that grueling match at Hell in a Cell where Jay Uso said he quit to save his brother. What a match that was. Heyman was gonna speak and then Jay Uso snatched the mic. He says, "You knew I wasn't gonna quit. You didn't." beat me. Roman says, there's no excuses. You took an oath. Now fall in line. Jay says, he can't get down with that. He don't respect him. He says, you knew I would quit for my brother. I'd do anything for him. Roman then says, you don't know the burden this holds." He then says, everyone's behind him. And if Jay doesn't fall in line, he's out the family. Jay says he hates Roman. And Roman says, I love you. But by the end of the night, you will fall in line. So we still haven't seen Jay fall in line yet. He hasn't done anything to show Roman that he acknowledged him as at the tribal chief so we're gonna see by the end of the night will Jay end up falling in line but the first match of the evening is Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler in a qualifying match for Team SmackDown we see Owens in control early but Dolphs take control after distraction by Bobby Roode we see Owens begin to then build momentum off a counter until Ziggler pulls down the rope causing Owens to fall at the ring then Ziggler decides to distract the ref so that way Robert Roode can attack Kevin Owens and then Bobby Roode throws Kevin Owens back in the ring but get caught by the referee and the referee ejects him from the ringside area we see Owens took control he tried to do a pop-up powerbomb but Dolph Ziggler counters it in midair into a Famouser I thought that was a fantastic counter it reminded me a little bit of the RKO by uh, Randy Orton when he did it to Seth Rollins you know how Seth Rollins tried to do the curb stomp but he ends up launching Seth into the air and then hits the RKO this is kind of what it reminds me of so I thought that was a pretty cool spot then we see both men try multiple pins until KO gets up and hits a stunner out of nowhere to win the match so We see that Kevin Owens is the first man to join Team SmackDown. So SmackDown has a lot to fill. Raw has AJ Styles, Keith Lee, and Sheamus as a pretty good team so far. So they better step it up. We see then SmackDown women begin to argue over a spot on Team SmackDown. It was Billy Kay, Natalya, and Bianca Belair. And then Adam Pearce says, you know what? You guys want to be on the team? You have to fight for it. So there will be a triple threat match tonight between Bianca Belair, Natalya, and Billy Kay. And I see Bianca Belair win this match. Match. Team SmackDown needs a solid woman on that team, and Bianca Belair is their best choice. Then, after that, we get an interview from Corey Graves with Lars Sullivan. Lars talks about how he was bullied as a kid, they were calling him a freak. He says he cried, and when they saw that, they all just laughed. He says he wants to hurt everyone who gets in his way and he wants to deliver hell on earth. So, Lars Sullivan, uh, he's apparently gonna try to be built up as a big guy like Braun Strowman. I don't see him as that yet. Maybe they might. Might go in a direction maybe where we would like it but at this moment the freak Lars Sullivan doesn't have me sold he didn't have me sold when he debuted he was pretty good at NXT he had a good match with Ricochet even though you know those two really don't mesh together but he could be one of the most dominant big men, just like Braun Strowman on his respective brand we all know Vince McMahon loves the big guys he always wants to put over these powerhouses he likes to have the big guys dominating while the smaller guys become jobbers who are actually really good just like those like I said ricochet he was really good at nxt he came to the main roster just because he wasn't humongous they put him as like a little jobber and then now look at him now so vince mcmahon clearly shows his favoritism towards the bigger wrestlers now we move on to the next match which is bianca Belair versus Natalia versus billy k in a qualifying match for the women's team at survivor series before the match we see buddy and aliyah speaking she says her mom is open-minded she just wants her to be happy but Rey mysterio and dominic won't speak about him, so we see Buddy still trying to get with Aaliyah and have her parents' approval. But now we move to the match. We see all women battling for control early. We see Natalia lock on the sharpshooter, then Billy Kay locks on a submission, but Bianca Belair doesn't tap. And the end finish was Billy Kay takes out Natalia and Belair, but can't seem to score on pinfall on either one. Then Natalia locks on the sharpshooter onto Billy Kay. Then Belair throws out Natalia, but Billy rolls her up, but Belair kicks out. We see then Bianca Belair. Hit that KOD for the win. And now she is the first member of the women's team of SmackDown. We also get a little video package for Carmella. She says next week we will know why she is untouchable. So we finally get to see Carmella on SmackDown in a match with her new gimmick. And tell me, what do you think? Do you think that she's going to be better, you know, now that she moved away from the Queen of Staten Island gimmick? Now she's more brash. Now she's untouchable. And do you think she's going to have a spot on that women's SmackDown team for Survivor Series? Let me know so that way we can talk about it and then maybe next week we'll see exactly why she is untouchable so now we move on to buddy murphy's apology buddy calls out ray and dominic to apologize they don't show but seth rollins does seth says that he will never forgive him or accept him or whatever him and aaliyah is going through rollins says but he will accept him and forgive murphy he also will embrace this relationship seth also says that he accepts aaliyah and whatever else they need he says he could marry them right now if they wanted to we see Rollins trying to corrupt Aaliyah. Aaliyah looked as if you know what maybe Seth Rollins isn't a bad guy. Then we see Dominic attack Rollins from behind. Then Buddy pulls him off to attack Rollins himself. We see Dominic then get upset. So him and Dominic brawl. So Mysterio then comes out to break it up. Then Buddy shoves him and then Mysterio attacks as well. So everybody's beating up on Buddy Murphy. Then they set him up for the 619, but Aaliyah steps in the way. Ray says, What are you doing? Aaliyah says, Stop. But Ray says, You have to go, Aaliyah. Aaliyah Aaliyah then responds with, I love him. And then Rey Mysterio gets upset. And then he says, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You don't know what you're doing. And then they leave. And then she picks up Murphy and her and Murphy share a kiss. And you can instantly see the hurt on Mysterio's eyes. Like, what is my daughter doing? So Dominic and Rey Mysterio cannot stop Aaliyah and Buddy Murphy's love, apparently. I don't know what's next. What could possibly happen in this segment? You know, people were enraged with this segment. Remember, Aaliyah is 19. I don't know how old Buddy is. I think he's in his 30s but people were enraged with this segment because they shared a kiss they're like you know you're kissing a young girl and I don't know what WWE is thinking with this storyline I'm not really a fan of it I've never been a fan of it but WWE is clearly getting a lot of outrage from it so it just leaves the question of what happens now so we move on to the next match which is Street Profits versus Cesaro and Nakamura they say that they've seen the New Day mocking them but that compliment is the greatest form of flattery so I guess they're not really mad that the New Day were mocking them they said but at Survivor Series, there will be no signing of bootio boxes or pancakes. Just a team showing why they are one of the best. Cesaro and Nakamura make their way to the ring. The match finally begins. We see both teams battling for control early until Montez knocks Nakamura out the ring. Then Cesaro to hit a tope on Nakamura. Then he tries to run at Cesaro who launches him high in the air over the barricade. We see Cesaro was still in control. Dawkins ends up getting the hot tag taking control but then the momentum shifted just a little bit when Nakamura got got involved. Dawkins tries to make a tag to Montez, but he wasn't on the corner and Nakamura regains and holds the control. We see Dawkins then take out Cesaro, then stops Nakamura who is on the top rope. He then suplexes him off and then Montez hits a frog splash for the win. So, if you didn't realize, Montez Ford ended up making the blind tag on Angelo Dawkins so he was able to make the pin. Then we move on to a backstage segment where Sammy talks about Survivor Series match with Bobby. He says he's the man of the people and Bobby isn't. We know that Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn have history. Sami Zayn used to make fun of Bobby Lashley's sisters when he came back. So these two have history. I think this is going to be a really good match between these two. It's a rivalry renewed all over again. He also said that the Intercontinental Champion is more important than a US Championship. I don't know. They both hold really important statures in the WWE, but no one seems to be better than the other. And both of these men are doing a really respectively good job at holding these titles. So, you know, I, I have no disagreement or agreement with these statements. After that, we get a Sasha Banks promo. She's carrying the same chair that Bailey used to attack her. She says thank you to Bailey for stabbing her in the back because she ended an error. And then says it wasn't the friendship that was unstoppable, it was her. So Sasha Banks thinks that that friendship didn't make them unstoppable, that Sasha Banks was the reason why they were unstoppable. Then she talks about her and Oscar at Survivor Series. Then we see Bailey come on, says the whole world knows she can win a title, but no, she can't keep one. She says Sasha can't beat Oscar without her, then challenges her for the title next week, and Sasha accepts so this brings me to the fact that yes it is true Sasha Banks cannot hold the title we know she can get one but she can never hold on to it she always wins one and then she goes on to a title defense and ends up losing it so with her beating Bailey, it could change the dynamic if she can finally retain a title so they also announced that November is 30 days of Undertaker which is why we're having him at Survivor Series I guess so congrats on 30 years to the Undertaker he's truly been doing this for three whole decades he truly deserves it and it's going to be exciting to watch some of the content they put on the WWE Network. His documentary was really good. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Now, we move on to the main event of the evening. Daniel Bryan versus Jay Uso in a qualifying match for Team SmackDown. We've seen a more aggressive Jay Uso. He's in control early. Daniel Bryan builds some momentum, but Jay stops it with the Samoan drop, then regains control. Then Daniel Bryan builds some momentum once again with his backflip counter, then the yes kicks. Roman Reigns then comes out out of nowhere. Daniel Bryan is in control until Jay counters a top rope suplex but gets a near fall. Both men are battling for control. Then Jay stops a Daniel Bryan dive with the super kick. Then he goes for the Uso splash, but Daniel Bryan gets the knees up. We see Jay Uso then hit two super kicks, then an Uso splash for the win. Then Roman Reigns enters the ring. They stare off and Jay says he's with him. He says he's the head of the table. Then Roman looks at Daniel Bryan and then Jay super kicks him. Then he hits him with another Uso splash. Then he says he understands now. Then Roman says, make Daniel Bryan understand. Then Jay Uso beats on Daniel Bryan on the outside. Then he throws him into the steel steps. He also places him onto the announce table. Then he hits an Uso splash. Now I want to point out, he barely hit this Uso splash. So I know he was in pain. And then he continues to beat on Daniel Bryan. And then Roman Reigns walks off with a smile and SmackDown goes off the air. So I thought that was a really good ending. Now we see Jey Uso aligning himself with Roman Reigns. I don't know if it's like a cover. Like when Randy Orton went to the Wyatt family for a little bit just to you know breach their their insides. I wonder if that's gonna be the case or is Jay Uso really with him? Can Jimmy Uso get involved too? I don't know how Jimmy Uso is gonna take his brother finally joining Roman. But like I said, these storylines with Roman and Jay and this whole family stuff is fantastic. Smackdown this week was actually really good between the fact that you know Jay Uso is now on Team SmackDown, he's also now a heel, he's no longer a face. We got the Street Profits at Survivor Series going against the New Day. I think that's gonna be an exciting match. Uh, We got to see where Seth Rollins, Dominic, Rey Mysterio, Aaliyah, and all that stuff goes. All around really solid SmackDown. So, this ends Episode 9 of Wrestling from the Crowd. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Wrestling From or on Facebook at Ray Collazo. This week's wrestling was really good. Some of it was super entertaining. Like I said about Dark, if Dark is 15 matches and 2 hours long, I will not be covering that anymore. I will just give you the results of AEW Dark and not go through it uh, eventually. Um, We also seen that Walter kept this title what's next for Walter what's next for NXT UK who's going to win that Heritage Cup like I said my pick is a kid and you know we got to see what's going to happen we also have full gear coming up so this week's uh, AEW is going to be their go home show so I'm pretty sure it's going to be a really good one so thank you for listening this has been wrestling from the crowd my name is Ray good morning good evening good night wherever you are